0: This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course. Novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers, to name just a few plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com Hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash Hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers.
1: Margaret White, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt
0: D. Williams, Brad Thord, Corey, Doctor O., Robin Hock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Charlene Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is. Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Jess Montgomery on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Stills, and it's the uh, third book in the Kinship series. And uh, this is a must-have for your to-be-read pile, for sure. Uh, This is such a fun adventure. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jess.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm happy to have you. Jess, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, So I'm one of these irritating people (laughs) who (laughs) always, always wanted to write. Um, So my first memory of writing something was I wrote a little book. I was probably maybe six or seven. Uh, <laughs> called the Fireman, and it was about a fireman who uh, rescued a girl's cat from a tree. So stellar premise when you're seven.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And, and I, uh, what's funny is I bound it in red construction paper to make a cover, and uh, was and, and stapled the edge, the side, and uh, I put up in the right hand corner one cent. I guess I was underselling myself <laughs> and on the inside front cover. I very, uh, presumptively wrote published by little golden books because I had all these little golden books and then I sold it to my aunt, <laughs> oh, that's uh, for, for that penny. And I, I actually forgot about it until years and years later. She, she passed away and, uh, my uncle remarried and his new wife found a box of my aunt's, um, like she kept every birthday card Christmas card letter anybody ever sent her and tucked in this box was uh the fireman (laughs)
0: that is
1: yeah
0: I love that
1: yeah so I've always storytelling is just I think it's part of everybody's DNA it's how I make sense of the world um I've just always hung on to it but I always sort of book into that story with Uh, another story about my my great-grandmother who um, lived in the same part of Appalachia her whole life and we didn't know that she wrote poetry until after she passed away. Um, She lived to like 103 and in her 90s she developed a little crush on the 80-something cute guy at the corner grocery store and she wrote him all these love poems and other poems too Um, so, you know, as far as we know, she started writing in her nineties. Um, so I kind of love that because it just says, you know, you can, you can start writing whenever you want.
0: I love that so much. Um, there, we talk a lot on the show, um, and, and, and you, uh, you kind of alluded to this already, but your, um, your sense of place. And, um, you know, where we're from and and how that uh, kind of bleeds over into the types of stories that we tell uh, or or that sort of stuff. Uh, how do you feel like your connection uh, to place affects you as a storyteller?
1: You know, setting is such an important part of a story to me. Um, it's a character in and of itself, right? We're shaped by, where we come from, where we end up. Um, sometimes that's a different place. Sometimes it's the same place. And certainly for the kinship novels, um, they're set in southeastern Ohio, which is a part of the Appalachian region. And my, I have already alluded to the fact my family of origins from Appalachia. I happen to be you know, first-generation Buckeye um, in a, a non-Appalachian part of Ohio. But as I was growing up, my parents would say, I was a late in life baby. So I was the first person on either side of the family not to be from a particular place in um, Eastern Kentucky. So I got teased about that just a little bit. But they would they would say, we're going on down home. And going on down home meant going to where my grandma Lou lived in um, West Liberty, Kentucky. And so I always kind of thought of it as home. But at the same time, since I wasn't born there, I wasn't sure was I even allowed to write books set in Appalachia. So when I came across the the genesis for the kinship stories, I suddenly felt very like it was okay I, that I could do this. Um, and I felt comfortable with it. And it was really fun because, you know, the, the turns of phrase and the memories of um, what it meant to go on down home kind of came back to me. It was nice to pull that in.
0: I- one of my grandfathers uh, is from Kentucky, from from northeast Kentucky, and um, I, I've always had a very uh, powerful draw to that area. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's something uh, about that, and, and the rest of my family are from um, South Mississippi, down close to the Gulf Coast. But there's there's this interesting pull um, in this this tension between those two cultures um mm-hmm. that i think makes a make well, one uh there's fascinating stories you know from from both sides but um it, coming from a uh um from a, a family of storytellers like you um have uh it it were there any writers um, per se in your family or was storytelling just uh, kind of part of your family DNA? Um, how does your family, uh, how do they, um, what, what does storytelling mean to your family?
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, <clears throat> so the great-grandmother I alluded to had nine children (laughs) and uh, one of them obviously was my grandmother but the youngest child my great uncle JD was a poet and so he uh, of all those nine kids went on not just to high school but to college and uh, graduate school and became an English professor I think at University of Cincinnati and he would come up and um visit us every now and then and if he had a new book of poetry out he he would bring that along and give it to his nephew my dad and to our family and for me i think it just affirmed that you know it was possible to have have a book published um and to you know work in the world of literature um now my dad what had what we would call now dyslexia or some kind of reading disability. Um, so he was ham- hampered in that area, but he could spin a yarn. <laughs> he could tell a story and he loved to tell stories. So I think if there's a genetic component, it would have definitely come from my dad's side um, and, you know, and that influence education was super important as well to that side of my family. Um, so there was a lot of encouragement about, you know, get a good education.
0: Sure. So Jess, as someone who um you know, has comes from a family where uh, storytelling is ingrained, it's obviously important. It was important to you from from a very young age and and you 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 kind of knew that that this was going to be a path that your life would take. Um and and now we we kind of jump forward to you're publishing now the third book in the kinship series um you know the strange thing happens uh, we we have these uh these desires and these visions of of what a storytelling life will look like and then somewhere you know around your early 20s this this thing called life happens and you start a family <laughs> and there are bills that have to be paid and all of this crazy stuff happens, but invariably for those that are, you know, bit by the storytelling bug, it comes back around and, and knocks on our door again. uh wh- what was that like for you? What, what brought you back around uh, to the place where you are now?
1: Yeah, well, I've, um, I've always written. Um, I've never stopped, you know, I didn't, I didn't take a break since I was six. <laughs> I've always written in some form or fashion, you know, a, hired professionally as a technical writer for a while and then marketing communications but um, for this particular series it was it was in you know just finding the story um, and knowing I just had had to tell this story uh, with the first book in the series which is called The Widows and then realizing thanks to my editor pointing it out that I would created this world of characters and that there was so much more I could do with what I'd what I created so
0: so you um not only are you a novelist but you also write uh you're, you're a columnist as well um how did how did you get started in in writing nonfiction and uh you know sharing your love of of storytelling with a wider audience
1: right I actually realized um I'm reorganizing my office. So I started going through some um, old clippings and realized I've been a freelance um, weekly columnist for the Dayton Daily for almost 20 years. So I had a column under um, a different name that was um, about like family life. It was, you know, kind of Irma Bombeck-esque. I would never say I was like Irma Bombeck, but in that same field. And of course... Uh, Dayton area, which is where I'm from, is where Irma Bombeck is from. And really the way that column came about was for a while the Dayton Daily would have um, occasional columns by readers. You know, you could send something in and they'd take a look and sort of a slice of life um, column by a variety of writers and readers. And every now and then I'd send something in for that And, um, one day I got a call from one of the editors at the newspaper and he said, you know, we're looking for uh, a regular humor column. We realize we don't represent, um, the woman's point of view in our columns. Most of our columnists are, um, male that are doing slice of life type writing would you like to give it a try and i i literally laughed i thought it was a joke (laughs) (laughs) because i you know i've i've freelanced for for newspapers and whatnot but i you know i'm not i've never been a full-time you know regular journalist um and then i realized he wasn't kidding and uh so i said (laughs) um now i look back and i think goodness that was a little shy but I said okay I will give it I'll give it a try but you have to run it in the as far back in the newspaper as you possibly can because I was just afraid that I wouldn't be able to do something once a week and I was afraid that nobody would like it and so I thought if we could just put it in like with the classifieds then then I'd be safe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he he's like, fine, we'll put it in the, you know, like the last page of the life section. Um, and so that's what they did. And then about a month and a half later, he said, you know, we really need an answer. And if you do this, you're going to be on the front of the life section on Mondays, not at the back. And by then I was so hooked. And I think I really liked having a weekly um, deadline to write to that I said okay I'll, I'll do that so I did for 10 years and then um, about nine and a half years into that by then uh, our kids were getting a little older it was getting harder to to find material you know because it was about family life I was always the you know fall the 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 butt of the joke I made sure not to poke too much fun at my husband and kids or you know it was about balancing work and life that kind of thing um and the editor called me and said well we've done a um sort of focus group in the area and readers really want to know more about the literary life of the dayton area we're a pretty um vibrant area for the arts in general um and have a lot of writers and writer events and so, you know, that editor asked, "Would I be interested in writing that column?" And I said, "Sure." And but once again, I thought, there can't be enough to fill a column every week in a you know relatively small city like Dayton. But as it turns out, I've never had I've never had a gap. There's never wow. been a problem. There's wow. just so much going on in the Dayton area. And you know, on those rare occasions where you know, there isn't something quite going on, I can always dig into the to the Dayton area area's history Um, and yeah that column's gone almost 10 years as well so
0: are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life novelize is a web-based writing app which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection right from your desktop laptop tablet or smartphone just get the novel written Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum, help you track your progress and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organized mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize, the app for writers by Writer. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. Pubsite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website, developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. Pubsite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of 1 book or 20, or a small publisher, Pubsite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. Pubsite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. Pubsite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want get a custom domain name yourname.com it's simple to update you can add all of your books add a blog and a book tour sell from any retailer manage your email list and social media and even do e-commerce build your website with a 14-day free trial then pay just $19.99 per month which includes hosting and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Have you found that uh, that having that column um, has, has sparked your, um, your other writing? Um, do, do you feel like that your, your column writing, your nonfiction writing, informs your fiction writing? Do you, do you feel a connection there between those two?
1: I actually don't in terms of um, ideas um, or writing style. I mean, the column I write now is, uh, you know, it's a column, but it's very straightforward, um, partly because I've only got about, you know, seven to 800 words, which isn't a ton. Um, But what it definitely has done is if I start to think, oh, I can't write another chapter or, oh, this is really hard, I think... You have been writing a regular column every week for 20 years. Yes, you can put yourself in the chair and you can produce words. They may not be pretty. You may end up deleting 90% of them (laughs) so that you can create better words later, but you can get copy on the page. You know you can do this because you do it every week because you have to because you have a deadline. So in a very practical way, yes, it has helped me.
0: So tell me about the kinship series. Where did I, I'm fascinated just by the beginnings of things, and uh, I, I know listeners are, are tired of me hearing hearing me talk about this, but um, I'm it, it's it's almost like magic um, in a way that one moment the story does not exist. It, it it literally is not a thing. And then a character walks onto the stage of your mind or you start playing the what-if game that, uh, that writers do. You know, you, maybe you see a news story and you say, well, what if this would have happened? And then all of a sudden... Uh, a story, you know, takes shape and uh, and these characters become real and these situations become real. So what was that that instigating thing uh, for for the Kinship series that that brought this world to life for you?
1: Uh, well, I was actually doing a little bit of research to figure out where in um, southeastern Ohio my husband and I could take our younger daughter hiking. She had, um, gone off to college at Ohio university, (coughs) which is in Southeastern Ohio. Um, and she majored in outdoor education and was a rugby player. So as you can imagine, very, uh, (laughs) very physically fit, very, um, athletically inclined, very outdoors woman, uh, type of, of, child. And, um, she didn't have a car though at college so getting to like hiking areas away from the campus was problematic cuz there's you know there's not a county bus system over there um so i thought okay i need to do some research i have to be very careful and find a place to hike that will be interesting to her and that also won't lead to her having to call 911 for me <laughs> because I do not play rugby I am not particularly athletic um and there's not a ton of cell re- phone reception in some of those hills over there um so and just in digging around like looking for literally looking for like state parks places to hike I ran across um an article on the um Vinton County uh visitor site and Vinton County is one county uh, like north uh, west of Athens County, where Ohio University is, and there was this little article that was about Maude Collins, who was the first female sheriff in the state of Ohio in 1925, and she became sheriff when her husband was was killed in the line of duty. And the next female sheriff, by the way, in Ohio was in 1976. The third female sheriff. There have been deputy sheriffs and female police officers, of course, but then the third county sheriff in the state of Ohio was around 2000, and then we just got our fourth one with this past election. So they're few and far between, and I uh, just saw this article and was just struck by the notion of a female sheriff at any time, but in 1925 and in such a rural area, and. Like I said, in real life, there was no mystery about um, how uh, Mrs. Collins' husband died. Um, but I, like you said earlier, I got that what if question. What if there were? What if she doesn't know why he died? What if she knows he was murdered, but but doesn't know who could have done this? Um, and I was just going through some difficult times with my uh, family of origin on my mother's side. Um, not caring for how some folks were treating my mother. <laughs> and I um, felt this sort of like, well, if I were her, this this female sheriff, I'd want vengeance and I kind of want vengeance now. And so that just sort of set me down this path of brainstorming and coming up with ideas. And, you know, by the time I ended up writing the novel, it wasn't a novel about vengeance at all. It was about uh, finding your way back to community and redemption, um, which I think is a better outcome than vengeance in any case. Um, wow. But that was the genesis for it. And like I said earlier, I, I wasn't comfortable until now to write a story set in Appalachia. But I think knowing that um, that I could set it in my home state, but also Appalachia and draw on, uh, you know, kind of my roots made made the story just sort of come to life for me. What
0: is it it about this area of of Appalachia um, that that makes for such magical stories? Um, What are some of the things about this place that are so exciting and fascinating to you?
1: It's been exciting to me um, to realize how in in such a remote area, and particularly in the 20s, you know, you would think, in a way, it would be tucked away and untouched by the bigger events in the world, uh, you know, outside of the area. But that's, but that's not the case. It's fascinating to think about how big, sweeping changes or events, you know, whether it's, whether it's prohibition or women's rights or you know, unionization or what was happening in coal mining, um, could reach down into very. Individual lives in a very personal way and affect ha- the outcome of these lives and relationships. Um, so that's that's been really fascinating, and it's really been interesting to dig into the area and realize there's some really interesting you know history, wh- whether it's prohibition history or um, darker elements of you know our national history playing out in that in that and other areas, um, like in my second novel in the series. Um, and I just think there's something beautiful about Appalachia in general. You know, the hills, the hollers—they're kind of—it's—it's it's a really tough terrain, and yet it's really a gentle terrain in in some in some ways. Um, and of course, the culture runs deep. With community is so important, and I'm really fascinated by the tension between um, community and individuality, and how does you know where where does that tension play out and how do you resolve that tension that ends up being kind of a theme of any of the books that I've written so far
0: so um we're now talking about the third book in the series um mm-hmm. the stills when you when you first started writing that first book did you did you have any idea that the that the story would expand to where it is now
1: i did not <laughs> in fact, I, uh, I kind of thought of it as a, as a standalone. And, um, when I was chatting with my editor, you know, after my agent found a great publishing home with Minotaur for my, my book, um, I was chatting with my editor and, you know, we knew that they wanted me to do a second book and I just assumed it would be a standalone. And my editor, said, well, that's fine. But have you considered writing, you know, she asked the same question you just did. Have you considered writing this as a series? And I said, no. (laughs) And she said, well, you know, if you thought of it as a series, what, what would you, you know, envision? And I said, well, I really liked the Time Life books when I was a kid, you know, the decade by decade books. And this first one is set in the 20s what if the next one is set in the 30s and 40s and so on? And she was very quiet on her end of the phone. And she said, "Um, how long would you like to write for us? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, as long as you want me to, I guess. And she said, you know, we do like that you write uh, a historical series. And very soon you'll be writing contemporary and then futuristic science fiction. So, uh can we rethink this just a little and i said i i need to think about this so i went away and i thought about it and i came back to her and i said all right how about if we space the timing of each story by about a year um or so and that gives us plenty of time to play with over the next you know couple of decades if we want to and um you know, find within each year that I've said a story, what's, what's going on in the bigger scheme of American or world history that might be touching on the lives of these people in kinship. And so we agreed that that um, was what we would do. But she pointed out, you know, she said, I got to the end of this and I wanted to know not just what would happen next to Lily, who's the sheriff in, that's inspired by Maud, but what will, how will these other people's lives play out? you've created a huge cast of characters, how will their lives play out? And that's when it kind of hit me that, you know, I named the county seat kinship, but that's a very symbolic word and name. And the book is about community and individuality, you know, and how those two can interplay. What if each book had as the narrator, Lily, the sheriff, and then someone from the community? A different person per book, um, but somebody that you've met—you know, somebody that you know might have been a minor character in a previous book—gets um, to be a narrator alongside Lily. So um, that's worked out very well because uh, that way I can explore this world, but have kind of Lily as the anchor or the center of the stories, and at the same time have another narrator who might see things a little different than Lily does, and um, yeah, so I hadn't planned on this, but it worked out beautifully.
0: <laughs> so, so, Jess, do you consider yourself um, a, a planner or a pantser? And, uh, you know, th- those are terms that we kind of throw around loosely in the in the writer community. But do, do you write by the seat of your pants or or do you have an, an overarching plan and, and meticulously have these people's lives and, and futures planned out?
1: Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I actually think we're all both plotters and planters. I I
0: agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I think most people are are in the middle somewhere.
1: Yeah, I I do. I have to think I know. And I say I have to think I know the ending. Um, But I usually end up surprising myself and changing the ending. But if I if I give myself an ending <clears throat> to write toward, you know, these are mysteries, so I have to think I know who who's guilty and, and what their motives were. Um, that helps me give, have something to write toward. And then I, I think a lot about what motivates each character. Like, why are they, you know, what drives them? Um, so I don't like to, I try not to write characters that I've manipulated to fit a plot. I try to have the plot organically come out of who these people are. Um, you know, obviously there is some manipulation, but I, I I try to make sure it's a very the plots are very character driven. And then what I like to do is see you know who is in conflict with who. You know, who is going to oppose Lily not necessarily because she's the sheriff but but who has a different point of view than her that would come into conflict even if there were no mystery to solve um and so that kind of generates some some rich interaction and scenes and i just sort of start brainstorming scenes and, and trying to put them in some sort of order so that by the time i am writing actual you know copy um i have a good sense of I have a net beneath me we'll put it that way I've kind of woven a safety net of I sort of know where the plot I know where the plot's going I don't know exactly how I'm going to get across that tightrope but I know what the interactions are I kind of have a sense of theme theme tends to develop um, in the revision because then I'll, I'll have an aha moment of oh that's what this book is actually about okay <laughs> I love it when that happens <laughs> yeah I startled my husband one day. Um, we were we were cleaning out the garage this past summer, a, as one does in the middle of you know a pandemic. And, oh yeah. Yes. And we're working away on cleaning some shelves, and I suddenly burst out, "It's about faith." And he's like, "What? <laughs> oh, the book I'm writing. <laughs> okay." <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure, it is, Jess. hand me that box
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh the the um since there is some space between the books in the kinship series, uh, can you pick up any book in the series and jump into the story or or do you really need to start with the Widows, then go to the Hollows, then the Stills? Um, how would you direct people to get into your series?
1: um I very much try to write them so that they can each be read as a standalone um and each book ends so that you can see that if there weren't another book the the characters are left in a satisfying place and yet there's you know there's enough like it's it's a big cast it's a big world so you can kind of also see where there could be more stories but i do try to write them so that the people can um You know, they could pick up the stills and read it and not read the first two and they'd be fine. Now, the tension that creates as a writer is there are lots of people who like to read a book series in order. Um, So I have to be very careful about I'm giving just enough um, backstory so that I'm not giving away the previous books, but just enough that if you're a reader who you you just want to read the stills. You don't want to read the other two, uh, that you know what's going on, but not so much that if you've read the first two, you read the stills and think, well, she already said this in the previous two books. So um, <laughs> it's it's a bit of a juggle, but I, yeah, people can read them in any order, really.
0: I know that your publisher loves the Kinship series and loves the idea uh, that you're working on, uh, but how how far ahead are you thinking about these characters in this place um do you have a a grand plan that you're you're writing towards uh,
1: kind of i um just thinking about Appalachian history um after world war ii there was kind of a great diaspora out of parts of at least in my family out which is you know how i ended up being the first I was born in later, much later than the World War II. But um, like I said, I was a late in life baby. But my family all left, you know, like in the late 40s, early 50s and came up north to Ohio. And a few went south to Florida um, and and, you know, and a few stayed. So but but Appalachia changed a lot after after World War II. So I kind of see these characters up through World War II um now that could mean a lot more books that could mean a handful of more books depending on you know how far ahead in time i i want to skip but i actually did sit down once i realized okay they're, they're going to at least be four books in this series maybe more um and just wrote out a timeline especially thinking about the younger kids you know as they get older they're going to have personalities that come forth they're going to have their own conflicts that the kids start out fairly young in these books, but you know, they'll be coming of age in the great depression. Some of them will be the right age to go off and fight in world war two. Um, so it, it's been kind of interesting to think about, you know, even if Lily ne- never has another mystery to solve, where will these lives go? So I have planned that out.
0: Well, the new book is called The Stills. It is the third book in the Kinship series. Um, Jess, I love the series. I think people are going to have so much fun with it. Um, we're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode where uh, folks can grab it in Kindle edition or audiobook or, or, uh, you know, actual paper. If, uh, if people are still <laughs> excited about reading actual paper, I, I know I am. Um, Me too. But if, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online?
1: Oh, they can find me on my website, which is uh, JessMontgomeryAuthor.com. Um, I'm pretty active on uh, Facebook. I have a Facebook page. It's also just Jess Montgomery Author and a Facebook group. I interact with um, people on the Jess Montgomery Friends uh, group. So Facebook is where I do a lot of interacting. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but, um, but really to, to connect with me personally, at Facebook is the way to go. Or, you know, they can find out a lot more about me and my books on my website or and also how to contact me via email.
0: Excellent. We're going to put links to all that stuff in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Jess, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no further than Pico's House crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous they also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands whether you need beta reading developmental editing a manuscript critique line editing copy editing or proofreading pico's house is the one-stop shop for you check them out today at Pico'shouse.com to get started Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural, and all writers experience them. The problem, though is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit DreamAuthorCoaching.com to get started today. The Bad Company Complete Series Omnibus, books one through seven. Humanity's greatest export, justice. Space is a dangerous place, even for the wary, especially for the unprepared. The aliens have no idea. Here comes the Bad Company. The Bad Company Book 1, Colonel Terry Henry Walton, takes his warriors into battle for a price. In this first installment of the Bad Company, he believes in the moral high ground and is happy to get paid for his role in securing it. Set in the Kutharian Gambit universe, Terry, Char, and their people-humans, werewolves, were-tigers, and vampires... Form the core of the Bad Company's direct action branch, a private conflict solution enterprise. Join them as they fight their way across Tissakinen 4, where none of the warring parties were what they expected. The seven-book series Omnibus includes The Bad Company, Blockade, Price of Freedom, Liberation, Destroyer, Discovery, Overwhelming Force. Grab the complete Bad Company series by Craig Martell now. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley. Virtudis Gloria Mercies. Translation, glory is the reward of valor Fed up with playing the normal game, recent university graduate, ex-cum laude, ex-soccer star, ex-popular and mostly broke Kara Madano Changes her life when she decides to research how to be a witch and believes it Kara didn't want to go back east and deal with her overbearing mom So when university was done, she stayed behind in Los Angeles. Little did she realize how controlling moms can be from the other side of the country. Feeling a little desperate to make her own way, she buys a few books on business, and one on a lark, How to Be a Badass Witch. That's when the trouble started. Find out just what trouble a young woman can get into when the magic just might be real. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Andrews.